Hello and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the brand new weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano, founder and executive director, and I'm joined by our other host, the amazing Liz Pollack, our vice president. Hi, Liz. Hi, Sam. This is our first episode. It's very exciting. In this episode, we're kicking off a series of discussions around the global response of the design community to help combat the coronavirus COVID-19. We'll have a special guest host, George White, Chief Innovation Officer at Cantina. We'll talk to George a bit about the global design relief response and what this all means. And then Liz, George, and I will chat with Gustavo Fontana, Creative Director at Fresco Design. Gustavo is on the front lines of this work, collaborating directly with doctors and producing a lot of really interesting DIY solutions. Let's get into it. If you didn't catch it, we did a preview episode where Liz and I introduced each other and we talked about our vision for Design is Everywhere. But in case you missed that, our plan is to bring you stories from design thought leaders every week on how they're using design to change the world and make real impact. Our episode themes will cut across all 12 of our design impact areas. So topics around vibrant cities, sustainability, healthcare, workplace innovation, entrepreneurship, and more. So we hope you'll subscribe and hang out with us each week as we dive into some of these great topics and discussions. But before we get into today's discussion, first, a bit of news from us. Liz, what's happening and coming up at the Design Museum? A lot. A lot is coming down the pipeline. In addition to launching this podcast, we also just successfully funded a Kickstarter campaign for Design Museum Magazine. So we now have subscribers from all over the world, from Tel Aviv to Toronto to San Francisco. And it's just such a statement about how we can now bring Design Museum and design inspiration and education into everyone's home, not only through online content, but also through this physical publication that will be delivered right to your front door. I'm so excited about the magazine. I want to say thank you to our over 330 backers who supported the Design Museum Magazine Kickstarter campaign. The summer issue is coming together and looking so great. I'm psyched about the cover story. It combines two of my favorite things, design and space. Uh, So basically, the author, Brian Romer, he was part of an effort to help NASA reconnect with its innovation roots, right? In the early days, I think the average age of a NASA employee was 27 years old. And now, of course, it's a huge government bureaucracy. And I think we all know it's hard to be innovative in that context. So Brian and his team use design thinking to help NASA and have their top leaders connect with people in the organization who are innovating despite all those barriers and hurdles. And Brian calls these people persistent innovators, which I just love. And uh, the piece is called design thinking for rocket scientists. And I just think you're going to love it. Yeah. And we actually have some really great live virtual events coming up as well. So tomorrow we're launching a sketch series where attendees will be taught a variety of sketching skills and techniques from Derek Cassio. We've actually already had three incredibly successful virtual events on the at-home workplace, remote meeting strategies, and sustainable practices in design many of which were actually sold out, which is incredibly cool. Uh, But if you want to check out those recaps and those videos, you can see them all on our website. Uh, If you just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org and remember to use .org, not .com, because if you use .com, you're just, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get there. Uh, And you can also go there and sign up for that sketch series as well, which I would highly recommend. Yes. Derek, uh, in addition to being the co-founder of the Design Museum, is also an amazing sketcher. On to our main story. Uh, you know, what is there to say about COVID-19 that hasn't already been said? 
the virus has quickly spread around the world in ways and numbers that are really just hard to fathom. The global number of cases is now over 1 million. And a majority of the world's population, including us, is social distancing to help control the spread. But of course, the brunt of the impact is really being shouldered by our amazing medical community. Yeah, COVID-19 is straining our healthcare workers and their families, and they're running out of supplies. Everything from N95 masks to ventilators. Without the required personal protective equipment supplies, or PPE, medical professionals, nurses, doctors, they're all putting themselves and their families at risk. And without enough important medical devices, patients suffering with COVID-19 are at dire risk as well. So as designers often do, they see a problem and they jump in with creativity and they start making things. We're seeing individual designers, collectives, and 3D printing factories all springing into action to help. Yeah, it's really, it's been incredible to see. One of the first stories that I saw was from Liverpool, New York, outside Syracuse, a company that sells 3D printers called Budman Industries designed and started 3D printing parts for face shields that they provided to Onondaga County medical professionals. Here's a clip from an interview they did recently with Fortune. We started to see the PPE shortages. And when our county executive here in Onondaga County, uh, Ryan McMahon, announced that there would be a test center opening, uh, we thought, hey, you know, I bet we could donate something um, because most of the resources have to go to the major cities. Um, maybe we could do something to help here. So we put our heads together and we looked at different personal protective equipment and we saw the shields and we thought that that was a good candidate for 3D printing. Then across the pond, we have Dyson, best known for making the world's best and most yellow vacuum cleaners. They designed a ventilator in 10 days, and it looks like they're going to have 15,000 units ready this month. The distributed response for designers and makers of all kinds is incredible and inspiring. Here to talk about the response and analyze the impact with us is George White. He's the chief innovation officer at Cantina, a strategic design and development agency in Boston. Welcome, George. Hey, Sam. Hey, Liz. How are you guys doing? Thanks for being here. Uh, to start off, uh, without you know, making you blush here, but you're one of the smartest, most innovative thinkers we know, and so uh, we wanted to know what's your go-to social distancing pastime, and how are you staying sharp and creative right now? Uh, so uh, you know, those two things don't really align. Um, you know, definitely eating and TV seem to be your big thing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm finding that uh, the change in in environment and work is is driving us to sort of push a lot of things together and having to space them out is becoming really the, the real go-to technique for me is making sure I'm making space for myself, right? you know, and not working all the time. Um, staying sharp, uh, you know, uh, doing design work, doing workshops remotely, which is a really new and kind of fascinating thing. Sometimes we should talk more about that because it's a, it's an interesting challenge, but um, you know, we're, we're continuing to push on the types of design that we do, whether it's physical stuff all the way through to help people with, you know, changing their organization. So, yeah, you know, work is keeping me sharp. Uh, it hasn't slowed down, honestly. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it is amazing what we're able to do. You know, even as we're all apart, we can still be productive. Absolutely. So you've been following the news, like all of us, we're glued to it. And you've been seeing designers and makers step up and just do these incredible things. There's so many different projects, right? And it's kind of hard yeah. to, you know, parse out, you know, what's working, what's making impact. And I thought you could help kind of give us a sense of like, what are the projects that you're seeing that seem really great uh, and that, you know, are really making a difference? Yeah, you know, it's funny. There's 
there's so many levels that this is happening at. And, and if you, you want to see sort of the activation of design across a huge spectrum, this is an amazing moment to see that happening, right? It's everything from companies like Dyson and Tesla designing and building uh, you know, new ventilator systems overnight, which is unheard of, as you said, uh, all the way down to you know, local sewers and people in their homes making stuff. Uh, and you know, we're looking at this sort of classification of PPE for hospitals. But then it's you know, one of the crazy things is this is the first time in a long time where there's a global need, a universal need for protective gear. And so people are doing things all across the board. So I think there's, there's an amazing number of projects going on. Um, it's almost hard to keep track of them because there are so many. But you, know, you look at what Prusa is doing. Uh, you know, they put, put their entire 3D printing farm into making face shields. Um, again, Tesla uh, and, and modifying the parts of a Model 3 to become a ventilator. That's a crazy idea. Um, you know, I do think that there's a, there's a lot of work um, at that local level, too, where you're seeing people trying to design and develop uh, new types of mass and new technologies. One thing that's really struck me is, you know, is this really a design problem, per se, where we have to actually design new things? Or is it a supply chain problem? And because it's a supply chain problem, it becomes a design problem. Is that what you're yeah yeah it's it's both so you know it's interesting so 3d printing obviously is, is seeing a heyday with this right people are jumping into action with all these 3d printers um but 3d printing inherently comes with some supply problems right, right. getting the right types of plastics if you're if you're doing uh you know uh any type of additive development you're usually kind of get the materials you need so getting the materials that you need um, making sure that you can produce and then get those items to the people they need to get to it's a huge supply chain problem and in fact actually ironically i think it's easier to actually make this stuff than it is to get it where it needs to go um, there's also a lot of logistics pieces about you know the question of hospitals don't really necessarily want this stuff but the doctors and nurses do and so how do we actually get to that point where we're making sure we're distributing within the networks that want them, can use them. Um, there's all sorts of problems around uh, uh, making sure that these devices are actually really safe. You know, for instance, some early facial shield designs weren't long enough or the, the mask designs didn't fully fit. And so you expose people to, to things where you give them a false sense of, of hope. So there is a design problem, right? There's the iteration needed to can keep improving, keep improving, to be able to make this stuff faster. And then, yeah, the supply chain problem is, is a new design problem or a different type of design problem than many designers are used to dealing with. How do you see this all playing out? I mean, is this, again, we, none of us know the end <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, of this, um, but I'm kind of interested to, you know, you and I always have these amazing conversations around the future, and mm -hmm. sometimes we get these small signals of the future, and I wonder if this is just like a loud <laughs> signal of what's to come. Yeah. So do you see this as a one-time thing or... You know, is there a future in this kind of like mass response to a crisis because of the distribution of these tools? I think this is not a one-time thing. I think that the tools that we're seeing uh, being applied now, this is maybe the first crisis where they actually make sense to try and apply them. Um, but this type of collective effort and and um, d jumping in to help, I mean, that's a natural human response, right? I mean, look what Jose Andres is doing around cooking and, and food, right? I saw a stat the other day that, that um, schools are actually now delivering more food to families than food banks are. So this, this, this idea of jumping in and, and handling problems is not a new thing for us, but I think that the technologies and the design problems that we're facing now, these are new, and this is a new way for us to respond. Now, what I'd hope is that we take some lessons away from this and that we design systems that actually allow us to buffer these problems when they occur, right? The fact that we have a PPE crisis is actually due to other design problems, right? Not designing uh, a, a network to be able to hold on to and 
distribute this material, not having systems in place to be able to build these things rapidly and at need. Um, the fact that we're under pressure to design new systems now, um, it's great that we can do it. And it's great that we have so many smart minds applied to this problem, but it's terrible that we have to do it in this short period, right? We shouldn't really be proud of the idea that a cheap and effective um, ventilator is being built in 10 days. There, there are edge cases, there are problems with that. There's going to be some risk inherent in that. Um, and it's the fact that, that uh, we haven't planned better is, is a problem. But I do think that this is something that for certain types of crises, you're going to see this. I hope that, you know, when we see uh, future sort of um, weather related disasters, for instance, or climate change problems, that we do see these kind of jump into action when we hit a moment of crisis. Um, I also think that designers are realizing that maybe their role in the world was different than they thought. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think they're starting to realize that that maybe uh, we, we like to think that the things we're doing are changing the world. This is a moment where designers are actually maybe beginning to see that designing that app may not be changing the world, but designing something that's keeping someone alive or keeping them healthy while they're trying to put their lives on the line to keep other people healthy, that's a really different way of thinking about design. And I think a lot of people are going to come out of this saying, maybe, just maybe, uh, I need to be applying my skills and my, my smarts in other ways after this is all done. Totally agree. It's all about impact and how can you, again, use those skills, like you said, to... Mm -hmm. To make that impact i think every designer wants to feel that and i think that you know to me that's why so many people are stepping up whether it was a good solution or not they're like i gotta i gotta take action you know when we chat with gustavo we're gonna chat about you know some other approaches uh for mm -hmm. meeting the need but i want to chat about 3d printing yeah right and uh you know can we talk a little bit about some of the other examples i know like form labs was making the yeah. the swabs um you know, I've also seen other people like making 3D printing actual masks. Yeah, there's been some the adaptation of um, swim masks by basically creating a new piece that adjusts to attach that swim mask to a ventilator. Uh, the ventilator valve pieces that those guys in Italy designed a few weeks ago. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, of places where we're attempting to apply 3D printing. The tricky part, of course, and I'm sure Gustavo can talk about this a little bit more. The tricky part is that a lot of the techniques and technologies that sit behind 3D printing aren't really appropriate for medical use. A lot of the plastics aren't biocompatible or they're not capable of being used um, in uh, situations where you need to uh, be able to sterilize them or re-sterilize them. So you can't put, uh, say, PLA plastic, which is a very common plastic for 3D printing, right? It's environmentally friendly. It's made from corn. All that stuff. You can't put that in an autoclave it will melt right <laughs> you can't clean ab uh you know uh, abs plastic with with acetone or with a with uh, alcohol without you know basically structurally breaking it down so there's been a lot of challenges regarding those materials but but 3d printing itself is showing um that we can iterate really quickly or relatively quickly compared to other other techniques um, of design build that are integrated in um, so it's it's great to see it, it happening um i do think that we're also finding the limitations of this technology as it exists today and that's yeah. that's really exciting. So is this 3D printing, you know, a real public moment? Is this the moment when 3D printing factories and distributed manufacturing becomes a real thing? Hmm. You know, that's a hard question to answer. So I so what's fascinating to me is that, you know, when we first started looking at, you know, Cantina has a few 3D printers and we started immediately trying to jump into action doing this. And you can produce a few masks a day. You know, you may be able to produce if you have a decent printer and you know a few of them, maybe you can produce on any given machine, let's say somewhere between eight and 16 masks a day, right? It's just an example, if you're lucky, um, depending on the design and everything else. But the places where this is really effective are people who have this at scale already. 
So Prusa or Adafruit in New York, right? Adafruit has manufacturing capabilities. And so they're able to repurpose what they're doing to generate new PPE materials. It's really hard for, for the broader distributed network to be effective. Um, and the distribution problem grows with scale, right? So one of the things that I think will be interesting to see is if hospitals and other critical infrastructure start to look to bring these capabilities local. So I know, for instance, Boston's Children's has a pretty good lab for doing 3D printing and things like that. I'm curious to know, I don't, I don't know what they're doing right now, but their prototyping lab has a lot of this equipment. I'm sure they're looking at how they can generate this stuff on site. And I think that's actually where we'll see these moments of having endpoints where you can create the stuff that you need at need. And I do think we'll see more distribution of that. But I think there's another problem too, which is getting the materials. Like this crisis is really interesting because you can't trust anything that comes in and everything that goes out has to be assumed to be untrusted. Right. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're deciding that you want to make uh, use, you know, PETG, uh, you know, plastic face shields, you've got to get that material if you didn't have it already. Right. If you're not for some reason, I don't know, making folios out of this stuff, you've got to get it in and then you've got to make sure that you can use it and then you've got to get it out again. And how do you know during that whole chain of custody that it hasn't been exposed? So there's a there's a whole lot of trickiness to the distribution thing. I do think that. Um, this is a this is an interesting moment for us to see what the capabilities are and start to figure out where the gaps and the holes are so that we can have more of this. What advice would you give to designers who are looking to make impact? You know, it seems like you're laying out a bunch of potential problems uh, or considerations at play here. But what you know, I'm a designer. I'm sitting at home. I'm ready to jump into action. What can mm -hmm. I do? First thing, um, find an expert. Uh, you know, the the one thing about this problem is that uh, we all have great ideas and ideas are awesome, but this is a complicated system. It's a complicated problem. And so, so find expertise, uh, ideally find collective expertise. Uh, I'm part of a group right now that's, that's working out of Buffalo, New York and, and here in Boston. And we're looking at, at ways people can generate mask materials at home uh, for either home use or for, for hospital use. And um, one of the things that struck me initially was it's great. It's a group of architects and designers and material scientists. You're like, this is awesome. Not a single doctor, right? <laughs> not, a, not a single person who actually has ever designed or made PPE. And so you have a lot of theory. But that theory doesn't necessarily uh, uh, line up with facts. So find an expert, find someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, another thing is uh, make sure that you're looking at the broader problem. It's not just medical PPE. We all have to deal with this. So there may be areas where designers can help in the same way that a, a home sewer can make masks now. Um, a designer may be able to help on a local scale. Um, and then think more broadly, right? It's not just PPE. It is other needs as well. Um, and are there ways to deal with some of the other gaps in the system? So I think as we start to look at this, look at the broader implications, but definitely come back to this. This, this particular moment of crisis is, is important. It's really, really critical. But there are other system problems to deal with as well along the whole chain. Ladies and gentlemen, George White. He works at Cantina, and he's also a Design Museum board member. Thank you again for being here. Of course, my pleasure. And stick around, uh, since we'd love to have you join our conversation with Gustavo Fontana after a quick break. Design is Everywhere is brought to you by members like you. Every member receives Design Museum Magazine, our must-have quarterly print and digital publication about design impact. It's how we can bring the Design Museum directly to your door. You don't even have to leave the house. It'll come to you. 
Each issue contains stories from creative thought leaders on how they're using design to change the world. Yeah, some past stories include Turning the Inside Out, The Workplace Meets Mother Nature by Lee Stringer, and interviews with design leaders like Kat Holmes, Senior VP of Design and UX at Salesforce. Design Museum Magazine is design inspiration you can hold in your hands. Visit designmuseummagazine.org to subscribe today for just $3 per month. That's $3 per month that we bring the world of design to your doorstep. Check it out at designmuseummagazine.org today. And we're back. And I'd like to welcome a friend of mine to the show. Gustavo Fontana is the founder and creative director at Fresco Design, a product design studio with a hybrid team of industrial designers and programmers. Gustavo wasted no time responding to the need for PPE. Here's a quick clip from making a DIY face shield. Early this week, I shared uh, this idea of making a simple face shield using readily available materials and the supply chain uh, constraints could result. And this is a really important product because it allows uh, folks in the front lines to using an N95 mask, not being so exposed once you have a shield in front of it. Uh, earlier today, uh, Dr. Sergio Waxman from the Beth Israel Center in New Jersey reached out and we started talking about how can we make this in their hospital or any other hospital and improve it a little bit so it can really meet their requirements. Gustavo's company, Fresco Design, partnered with iGen Corporation and Lacerda Corporation to launch Ushield.us, a grassroots effort to supply disposable face shields to protect frontline healthcare workers. And I'm excited to announce that we at Design Museum have come on as the official nonprofit partner for this effort. Gustavo, welcome and thanks for being on our first episode and thanks for all you're doing to help healthcare workers. Hello, Lisa and George, and thank you for having me. There's a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> I know you're out there delivering face shields in your own car right now. Uh, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Uh, it's been a really change of, you know, from the, the uh, do-it-yourself solution to really scale this up into addressing more of, you know, what's a real logistic and, and you know, high volume problem, right? So today we're shipping 11,000 more shields and we have another 26,000 to ship as soon as we have donations to meet those. Uh, request. That's amazing. Backing up a little bit, you know, because I definitely want to talk about you shield us, but I'd love to get a sense. I'm like, let's go back in our minds. It feels like two years ago, but mid-March, you know, the coronavirus like really becoming real in our minds and people are reacting. I just want to get a sense if you could share with us like that moment where you were like, I need to do something and here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to connect with. You know, basically like, how did you start this? Sure. Yeah, I was really dragged into it. Uh, a lot of my colleagues and friends in the industries uh, started, you know, blowing up in notifications in my Twitter because they were asking me what was I doing about this, what were my thoughts about this whole thing, or how to help. Uh, mostly, they came uh, because you know we have a team of ten designers, we have six different printers here in the office, so they thought that we could just uh, take the same approach. And my first reaction was, yeah, that's a good one, but can we do better in terms of addressing pandemic level of need, right? Mm -hmm. And the first thing to do was to create a, a design of more of a, a you know, basic guidelines of how anyone without a 3D printer could uh, make face shields. And that's uh, the first video that we put up there. That got picked up by the local news. And then um, a Dr. Sergio Waxman from Beth Israel Hospital 
ping me and he said, can we make this even faster or more reliable and all that? So we started helping them to source the different parts and materials to create a few thousand shields for their institution. And that's when I realized that, no, we need to go back to what we know best. I'm an industrial designer. I have friends who are industry experts. So what's industrial level of solutions? And that's when we reached out to Lacerta and they started realizing that what we need is massive amount of volume. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the, you know, the material, right? It's like, okay, you said that we're industrial, like that's what industrial designers do. Um, but backing up, you're kind of chatting with doctors, nurses, can you help characterize? I think it's hard for people who are sort of like outside uh, of a hospital, like the need, like the need for PPE, but also the need for speed in all of this. Yeah, there is there is a unique tension going on that in emergency situations that you have the 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 fact that doctors and people in the front line they need a solution now and they need the best solution that now is available, and then their systems are not set up to react that way, and hopefully for the future versions of this, hopefully we don't have another one, but if we do, uh, we have more of an emergency situation in plan. Uh, just like every building in a, a theater has a, an ex emergency exit sign ready there to know what to do, uh, it seems that these places didn't have that at a government level, institutions levels and all that, right? And so, yeah, we got uh, invited to join lots of discussions, groups, meetings, Slack channels. I was in Zoom meetings with 150 people trying to come up with solutions and things like that. And, and that is because they needed uh, local support until the, the more established channels uh, get going. What was your design process? You know, you talked a little about working with the factory and like thinking about the material. What was the process you went through to make the face shield design that you guys are using? Uh, it was in one of these meetings that uh, one of the uh, folks in, uh, invited and, and had a, a quick description of introduction of what they do is that uh, they said, we work in, in packaging. And that's when I thought packaging, that's massive. That's like huge quantities. So after that, uh, we got on a call uh, offline and started talking more. And he was telling me that their uh, production lines are ready and they could ship stuff, but they're still dealing with all kinds of paperwork and vendor approval processes with major institutions, government, uh, uh, state government, uh, FEMA, hospitals, you name it. And I said, what if we just set a website or something, you know? <laughs> and, and we start shipping because you can, you can start running your machines today, right? And that's what we did. So the design problem here was more, it wasn't so much about the design. The design, they have one design there. We, we gave them some feedback to change it a little bit. We might even do new versions. But the real design problem was time and logistics and, and now funding in our case, right? Just to get things out. That's a really interesting way to look at the yeah. design problem. Because I know, and George, I know you've seen some of these things too, where it's like some of these solutions right. seem over-designed, right? They're like... You know, I saw the one, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but there was a face shield that had a logo on it and they were 3D printing the <laughs> yeah, logo. And I'm like, do you need the logo? It's crazy. Obviously, um, there's been a lot of different types of PPE that could be built. And um, you guys settled on face shields. What, what was the sort of the design thinking to come down to shields are the thing? over say other other choices? There's been a few things that we are working right now in four or five different projects. Uh, we're also working with another team of the West Coast on a ventilator and, and those th things have different uh, times to, to get done and, and, and more people involved and things like that. But the premise here for us was they do no harm. 
uh, a lot of the, the masks instead of shields uh, that, that they're being put out there. Uh, I see them and also talking with doctors and epidemiologists and, and folks who understand and tested these things. They're like, they're like, that's just a liability. That's just not, we're not putting this in our people. So what can we do that we can, we can, we, we can help and, and make sure that by trying to help, we don't hurt anyone. Right. And, and that's also why going to a food grade facility where everything is clean and no one touches anything and all that, because the, the community efforts so everyone built them by hand sounds great. And through a life, the reason we're doing that is because maybe we're all infected. Right. So, so try to, to address and don't get me wrong, everything. If you have 3D printers, keep printing, keep doing it. It's everything helps in every way. And some, some of them might not be medical grade, but if you had nothing or we have a face shield that you could just bleach, it's always going to be better, right? Yeah, that's a great point. And actually, to your point about everything helping, it's not just doctors and nurses. It's the entire staff of a hospital. It's down to the janitors need, need some form of PPE, right? So being able to, to meet those different levels of need, there's different needs surgically versus being on a COVID ward. Yeah, the... I think that's that's a great point. I guess another question I have about this is, um, as you've been working with uh, uh, institutions who need these materials, what's their um, expectations of scale and scope and timing? Right? I mean, they have immediate need. What are they asking for you? I mean, I know you're, you're you've got you know, sponsorship for another round of masks. What are they asking for in terms of like how quickly can you get this to us? So there's we've seen a divide. Uh, very common in a, you know, capitalistic terms, right? Where they, they have some, they have not. And this happening uh, in terms of speeds, in terms of funding, in terms of access to even know that what's available. Uh, our supplier, Lacerta, is taking orders, you know, very large amounts. And, you know, some of them are hundreds of thousands of millions per order. And But those are being addressed by but this system that are finally catching up and they're, they're getting their act together to to have made those uh, orders and they're going to their places. So they tend to be very large hospital networks, state governments and things like that. But then I'll give you the other side of, of the extreme uh, of these differences is nursing homes, right? The average staff in a nursing home, nursing home is under 100 people. And there's about 15,000 of them in the U.S. That's one and a half million shields that we could send, but no one is sending anything to them yet. They're like very low in the in the food chain, right? And us sending a box of 100 shields to each of them, uh, it, that's what's gonna save lives. And save lives of both the staff and everyone's uncle and aunt and, and grandfather and grandmother who are staying there. So this is where we can come in and do more like the retail version of mass production. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to actually to a design question about funding. Right. So right now it's it's ad hoc. You're you're asking people to donate, but are you hoping for um, corporate or government uh, intervention at the dollars perspective? Forget, you know, even materials or anything else, but just simply putting money in to allow you to scale to those large org, you know, needs uh, across you know, multiple organizations. Absolutely. Right now, our bottleneck is three things: money, money, and money. Uh, we <laughs> we solve everything else, right? And in also, uh, we even have sometimes like I had a uh, inquiries from large hospital supply chain uh, people and and even uh, the office of governors of certain states asking us to go to this place and follow our procedure of becoming a blah blah blah. I was like, no, tell the government to grab her or his credit card and just go to ushields.com and just place an order, 
right? This is how, you know, this is liquidity. This is what most things, this is what we can, we can go to, uh, to a factory. Like I'm going to go today, I'm going to show up there and a couple of trucks, we're going to load it up and they're just going to write a check and, and, and say, I'll see you next time. Right. And that's what, that's what moves material. That's what moves things. So can you also talk to us about what are you hearing from the frontline folks who are receiving? Uh, a lot of what we hear is thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just for them, it's, it's amazing that this box just shows up because everybody's talking about like, you know, these things are coming, the things are coming. Uh, there's been news, uh, I think it was yesterday, that no N95 masks have arrived in the US as of you know last month yet, right? Uh, entire month of uh, March. So the idea of shipping is success and, and for them they some of them like you can see that they are them they don't even know but it, like it's more like putting a wish out there and hopefully it gets fulfilled uh today we're going to be eleven thousand of uh of, of those are gonna workers are gonna get their their shield in the next two days and we love to give that to everyone what can people do to help what is the call to action where we can all jump in whether we're designers or not and do something to help right now? We put all our effort to try to solve all these other issues around this uh, problems with supply chains, with bureaucracy, with you know how to get to the right places, how to put an ordering system and all that. Um, Design Museum has been great supporting us as a, a fiscal sponsor to be a nonprofit. That's a really important aspect of credibility. Uh, we are putting out there the, the cheapest shield that we know of is uh, I think it's about 60 cents with the foam. Once it's with the foam, we can get even cheaper uh, in just production costs. And once you have all the logistics and all the shipping and all that, it's about under a dollar, equals a dollar a shield. And what we need is money because we have a list of people that we say, if you're a small facility, you don't have the means or the ways or the funding to, to go on. You can order them on the website and you can pay for them and you get it right away. But if you can't, you can ask for a free one. And But for that, we need a donation. Money. Well, thank you, Gustavo, for joining us. And I just want to say a big thanks again to your team and to your partners for everything you guys are doing. We are so proud to be just a small part of this and supporting you guys. So listeners, remember to visit ushield.us to donate so Gustavo and his team can provide free face shields to hospitals. And if you know doctors or nurses, tell them about this because this is they are circumventing a lot of the bureaucracy to get these shields in the hands of real people. And, you know, it's both a, you know, we need donations, but we also need awareness. Thanks again, Gustavo. Liz and George, it's time to start our first tradition on the podcast. Each week we'll share our weekly dose of good design something that impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I'll start. My weekly dose of good design comes from the James brand on Instagram. If you don't know the James brand, uh, they're based on the West Coast. They make these really beautiful, simple knives and tools. Uh, and they sort of, you know, buck the trend of the Swiss Army knife or the multi-tool. You know, they have tons of different tools. And so their knives are just knives. Uh, but that's not my, my dose of good design. It's actually uh, what they did on April 1st. Uh, so they posted an image of their newest product. It was called the Ellis Supermax. And it was a knife with tons of tools, right? Pliers, a nail file, a magnifying glass. And I saw this on Instagram and I was like, okay, this is a new direction. Uh, interesting that they're going this way. 
And then later in the day, they posted another photo of the Ellis Supermax. And this time, you could obviously tell it was a joke. It was a photo. <laughs> I'll post it on our episode page. But it has so many tools. It had like nail clippers, an Allen wrench, a compass. I mean, it's just, it's so like grotesque. Uh, and it really made me laugh. And I think everyone thought that April Fool's was canceled this year. Um, but I love what James Brand did with that campaign. And so in my book, they win April Fool's Day 2020. So Liz, why don't you go next? I definitely had to think about this one for a minute because I think like everyone else, I'm stuck at home in my home office with my children running around downstairs and trying to think of a weekly dose of good design is a little bit challenging. Um, but that's why we're doing this podcast, right? We're, we're doing it to stay inspired. So um, what I wanted to share this week was actually something that I use every day, which is a panda planner. And a teammate of ours, Diana, actually shared this with me pre-COVID. And I thought it was cool, but like didn't really use it you know, use it. Um, but then I found myself at home every day with absolutely no schedule at all and uh, really found that it came in handy. So for me, what sets this planner apart and what makes it such a good example of just, you know, really good design is that it breaks down things that we should be thinking about daily, but that we often don't. So for example, it includes questions like, what am I grateful for today? What am I excited about? A daily affirmation, it includes the basics, of course, like my priorities and my schedule and my tasks for the day. But it even has a section about like, what am I going to do for exercise today? And a section at the end that's like, what are your wins of the day? So what I love about the planner is that it's not only helping me kind of shape my day, but shape how I think about and how I approach my day. So I highly recommend the Panda Planner or something similar uh, that basically designs positivity into your day, which is what I like so much about it. Oh, I love it. We will definitely have to put a link to that on the show page. Okay, last but not least, George, what's your weekly dose of good design? Mine is actually from Zappos. So uh, Zappos did an amazing thing last week and simple and beautiful. They, they created a thing called customer support for anything. And this is a brilliant thing that they did. Essentially, uh, everybody needs help right now. Everybody needs help. And so what Zappos sat down and thought about was, well, how can we help everybody with everything or anything? And so they've created this website and it's basically a phone number and you can call them and you can ask for help. Uh, you can ask for help with your Netflix recommendations. You can ask for help getting groceries. Um, they had a hospital call and asked them to help get a, a, a vital need. And from what I heard, uh, Zappos basically solved the problem for them. They went out, found the vendors, acquired the product, and sent it to the hospitals, a prominent hospital in New York. So they're there to help with anything. This is, to me, the epitome of design. And from what I understand, they ship this in five days. It was it was conception to get it out there. It's not really well known yet. I, I hope that they have huge success with this, and I hope that people find anything they need from Zappos. It was just, it's just absolutely brilliant piece of, of design. And um, in the weeks since I found out about it, I've just continued to gush about it. I love it. That's so cool. Yeah. And feel free to share your weekly dose of good design with us on Twitter at design underscore museum. Thank you again to Gustavo Fontana and George White. You can find links to Fresco Design and Cantina on our episode page at designmuseumeverywhere.org. You'll also find links to some of the resources and videos we mentioned on the show. Also on our website, check out our upcoming live virtual events, and we've been posting lots of articles from Design Museum Magazine that I think you'll really enjoy. 
And remember to subscribe to Design Is Everywhere on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate us. That helps people find the new show. And just in general, tell people about this, tweet about it, you know, share it with your friends, email your friends, uh, you know, help us spread the word about this new podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Yes, I have a homework assignment for everyone listening. You have to tell five people about this podcast by end of day Friday. This episode was produced by Ryan Plum with support from Sabat Karim. For Liz Pollack and the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, I'm Sam Aquilano, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.